again, we're not given some text crawl backstory of in the year 2020, there was a war between the robots and the humans, and this is all that was left. You know, you, you don't know. Yeah, that was called Transformers right? the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to episode 39 of the RF Generation Playcast. I'm Ghost 81 and what follows is our discussion of our game for June 2017. For this episode, Rich and I will chat one-on-one about a 7th generation title that may have flown under the radar for many people. Enslaved Odyssey to the West is a bargain bin cult classic that has captured the hearts of many fans. Is it still worth your time today? Stay tuned for our take on this sci-fi fantasy adventure. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, and like us on Facebook. You can listen to the show on iTunes and Podbean. As always, don't forget to log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the awesome games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. You're working from home today, and I'm off today. It's a Friday afternoon. This is a beautiful thing, man. This never happens. What's going on here? I don't know, man. It seemed like the right thing to do, you know? Yeah. I hated to bother you on your day off, but you're like, I have the day off. And I was like, I'm at home. Maybe we can work this out and uh, knock it out so we can spend more of our night times with our significant others or gaming. Yes. Uh, <laughs> or both. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, this this was a great idea actually i didn't have any plans for this day off i actually am blessed with so much vacation time i <laughs> i work for a small company that was bought by a much larger company and with that came a lot of corporate type uh, benefits you could say one of which was so much vacation time that i can't even conceive of ways to use it. So I've been scheduling random days off. So that's why I'm off today. 
Very cool, man. Yeah, we have that sort of thing, too. And I know a lot of people either take long spurts or some people just take like one day off a month or every two weeks, you know, just take a Friday off just to use up some of that vacay time. Yeah, it's always nice, man. That's kind of what I'm doing. I don't want to be and no knock on these people, but we all have those coworkers that take the entire month of December off and that can really gum up the works, uh, in an office. So, uh, just trying to spread them out. Yeah, exactly, man. So, um, you went to a baseball game last night, right? Oh yeah, I did. I went back to, uh, the Dell Diamond in Round Rock and okay. saw the Round this Rock is Hispanic League. No, that was just a one-time thing. Uh, this is just AAA Pacific Coast League baseball. Uh, the Round Rock Express are the Texas Rangers uh, AAA team. We went to like ten games last year, and this year we're kind of late to the party. But we went to our first game last night, and it was it was great. I love that stadium, and I love baseball, so seeing live baseball locally and seeing some, you know, major leaguers get sent up and down all the time. So see some familiar faces. It's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah, we have um, not quite single A, I guess, just kind of a lower tier than that in the cities that adjoin where I live. So there's two teams. But we love going to minor league games. I'm not one of these guys that can sit around and watch baseball on TV unless it's playoff baseball. Mm -hmm. It's too slow for me, as you know, and maybe I've mentioned on this call. I love women's college softball just because it's so fast-paced. Right, right. Uh, And I'm really into that. But um, there's something about minor league games, man. They're so much fun. They had, like, the little contest, like, in between innings. Yeah, uh, we did one of those (laughs) ones. We actually (laughs) have... I did a tricycle race. Oh, that's funny. We've gotten asked so many times because we're just, I guess, two handsome young men that they want to put out on the field to play these dumb games but we actually did it once and it was a riot just just being on the field was pretty cool in front of everybody and the announcer was uh razzing me for having all my yankee gear on and it was it was really fun (laughs) oh man that's awesome yeah I, i love minor league games it's a lot of fun the kids love them too you know it's just kind of easy going and the games are pretty quick as well so yeah man good times good times yeah so what about you? Out doing anything fun lately? <laughs> no, I've been <laughs> confined to my house for like the last three weeks. <laughs> I'm not going to go into it, but I had a uh, very minor back surgery. I'm saying very minor. I guess anything with your back's major and I'm having to take some time off, which is why I'm at home today and have been home for a few weeks. I finally got to drive three days ago and that was pretty awesome. Very nice. Uh, I can only go about like 15 minutes for a drive right now. So basically went to pick up fast food and came home, which was, uh, yeah, pretty insignificant, but uh, was a big load off my shoulders, you know, just being able to get out. So it was nice. Other than that, my wife's been escorting me out on the weekends, which uh, yeah, it's nice of her and everything, but I hate to ask. I'm like, can you take me to this game store? Can you take me to that game store? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what I like to do, you know, and she's... She's been so awesome to help me out with everything and just patient. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll take you in there. And then she'll go in the game store with me. She's like, I don't understand why you had to buy that Mario bobblehead for your game room, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, yep, Outlook's good. I'm doing really well. And uh, that's all I care to talk about that. So, (laughs) No, that's, yeah, totally get that. And I'm glad you're starting to feel better, man. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so you want to get into pickups? I know you had a a big one recently. Man, I've had the most 
unbelievable pickups in the last few weeks. And it's kind of bizarre because we're recording this a lot earlier than what we typically record. And I feel like this has been my best or one of my best pickup months ever. So um, nice. And it's only been a, a small amount of weeks. So do you want me to go first? Well, I mean, actually, I could go probably shorter if you and yours are more significant uh, it doesn't matter they're having to listen to the whole call anyway <laughs> that's so. true you have to sit through <laughs> both of them all right go ahead man all right uh one thing i found that's not video game related but i do want to mention it because i think it's awesome i don't know about you but i watched a lot of ninja turtles as a kid the cartoon oh yeah the original one of course and uh, growing up i had the original ninja turtles the original ones had the heads that you can push in you know, they're just plastic and kind of hollow. And the newer ones they made with solid heads, it's a way you can really tell if you're a connoisseur or you're looking for original Ninja Turtles. Okay. So as a part of my therapy, my wife took me out to an antique store. This is about 15 minutes away. And I had been there a few times before and I noticed they had one of those giant like Krangs. Do you know the one I'm talking about with the robot body? And the, the brain and the stomach? Yeah, the little Krang and you could put like, it was like a finger puppet, the Krang, right? I don't know if this was a finger puppet, but I guess you could, you know, yeah, it was just kind of smaller, didn't, you know, have any legs or anything, but the robot was kind of big. I mean, I guess it was like 10 or 11 inches tall. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember that. So they had one at the store and it had $75 on it and it was oh. in pretty nice shape. And I checked it like several months ago and they had it discounted 25% off and I was like, oh, it's still too much. I, I just can't. It, you know, for a toy that's just going to sit on my game shelf to guard my games, I like to have like at least one from each series or cartoon or action figures I used to play with when I was a kid. Okay. And so I don't have any Ninja Turtle stuff. And I was like, uh, 25% off. That's not a lot. It's more than I want to pay. Still, I mean, $75 is a good price for that action figure. But I went back about two weeks ago and it was still $75. But I was, as I was walking out, I, went, I looked back and they had this like flyer that said, Anything with a certain color tags meant it was a certain amount off. So I went over to it and it had a pink tag on it and it was 80% off. Wow. So I got it for 15 bucks. Wow. That's awesome. That's a killer score, man. And I was so happy to have that. And it like, as soon as you walk into my game room now, you see it like it's right there as soon as you walk in the door. And so that's just something that, you know, it's not game related, but it's in my game room. So I thought that. I would mention that. So it's one of my favorite scores. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of toy collectors on the forum. We're going to love to sure. hear that. So <laughs> yeah, I should have put that in there, but I didn't. I also have gotten a copy of Halley Wars complete in box for uh, Famicom Disk System. That's a shooter and it kind of brings an end to my Famicom Disk System collecting. So I could check that off the list. Uh, it's pretty cool because I saw it online and they had it priced and I wasn't crazy about the price, but I know it's kind of rare. And it was a Japanese seller, and so I offered like a low ball, like twenty dollars less than what they had it for, and for whatever reason, they just magically accepted nice. it. So I was really pumped about that. I also picked a, a box copy up of Lagoon for Super Nintendo, just an RPG. I, I love RPGs and collecting, especially for the Super Nintendo and the uh, the PlayStation. Mm -hmm. So I got that, and I'm sending the box to our buddy Ray, who's one of our site managers, because uh, I'm not a box collector, and he has the cart and manual, so he's really happy to get it. So win-win, right? That is awesome. I love when, when you can make that happen. 
Oh, I know. I always try to do that. If I'm out and there's somewhere that has like a bunch of manuals or something for like a dollar or 50 cents, I'll usually just pick them up, you know, because they're so cheap and just try to sell them to people on the website for what I picked them up for. And I did that recently, just actually went to the post office today and sent a few things out to people. I picked up a copy. I don't know if you've ever heard of the game Stake, S-T-A-K-E. It's a four-player fighting game for Xbox. I don't think I have. That sounds neat. It looks really cool. You'll have to look it up. Uh, it's not the fighting game in the traditional sense of like Street Fighter 2. It's more of a like kind of a map game where you fight people that are all around you. And so it was five bucks and I looked at it and it was one of those only on Xbox. Mm-hmm. So um, I decided I don't know if I want it or not, but, you know, it's specific to that system. And my son, who's six, walked up to me. And he was like, oh, dad, that looks so cool to fight <laughs> each other. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you talked me into it. All right, let's do that. Man, always using the kids to <laughs> to, <laughs> to justify to, your purchases. You have to. I mean, <laughs> I feel like that's the way the Switch is going to end up getting into the house. What I did was I watched E3, and I was showing them the promos of all the E3 stuff, you know, and they're just enthralled. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's awesome. My son had a birthday on Flag Day, June 14th, and uh, I got him a 2DS as well. So he's really pumped now. He got Pokemon Sun and a Yu-Gi-Oh! game, so he, he's really happy about that. And I'm turning him into a gamer. Awesome. I don't know if we've ever mentioned this, but my wife's birthday is the same day. Is it really? Yeah, so. Wow, that's awesome. I remember you saying something about you were going out with your wife for her birthday, but I don't think we ever put those two things together. Yeah, interesting. Very cool. Some other pickups I had, I've been really trying to get a lot of PlayStation RPGs together, and I'm just really digging my PlayStation 1 collection right now, and I picked up Hoshigami and uh, Dragon Valor. Yeah, I, I never grabbed Dragon Valor, but I, I am kind of the same way with my ps1 collection i feel it's very well curated and i'm very proud of it (laughs) uh yeah hoshigami was one that was really elusive to me for a long time and i got a good deal on it a couple years ago so yeah i believe that the full title is hoshigami ruining blue earth or something like that that sounds right i'm interested to see uh what that subtitle actually means and from a site member, I actually picked up a copy of a Lunar 2 Complete, which I was really stoked oh, man. about and shared that with you. <laughs> yeah, I was jealous when I got that text message. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I got my copy of the first game from Steven, Disposed Hero, uh-huh. a while back. And of course, it's in amazing condition and complete and everything. So that made me want to get the second one even more. Uh, but I'm still looking for it. So that's that's good for you, man. Yeah, I was happy to have it. and. You know, I had the first one on PlayStation, I had just picked up the first one on Sega CD last month. So I was happy to have number two in my collection. And they look like great games, and I'm hoping at some point we can do a playthrough sometimes of uh, either one or two. Yeah, could be possible. Um, Speaking of Steven, I grabbed a second round of games from him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> of course. His list is so good, and you start looking over it, you realize that you've missed things. Yes, so you go back. yeah. I've gone back to it a few times. Am I sure I don't want any of this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) So I had a second run at Steven, and I picked up, this is a game that you recommended, Total Overdose for PlayStation 2. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I did a write-up of that, like, over a year ago. Pretty cool, like, Grand Theft Auto-ish kind of game. Doesn't it have, like, the slow motion firing and things like that, the diving? Yeah, yeah, it's like an action movie in an open-world video game. Pretty good stuff. Very cool. And then I also picked up his copy of Kirby's Dream Collection on Wii. 
that's one that I've been looking for for a long time. Uh, yeah, and just, me too. It, and it's gone up so much in value. But he had it, and man, his copy is just... Well, all three games I got from him are just pristine. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just so nice. I don't know where he gets them from, but and how patient he can be to wait and get games that are in great shape, but somehow he does. Yeah. And then I grabbed his copy of Bloody Roar 2 for the PlayStation. It's kind of a cool animal fighting game, right. and uh, my kids really love the fighting games now, so it's just something fun for me to play with them. I picked up a copy also of 3D Cave Story for the 3DS. A local media store got bought out. They kept the same name, and it was actually, I think, like the wife and husband had one had gone to Tennessee and one had stayed in North Carolina, and they had a chain of stores, but I think the one in Tennessee bought out the person in North Carolina. And so what happened is the game prices during this change just plummeted. I think they had this 3DS game for 55 bucks when I had gone in the store several weeks ago, and then I went and I checked after the store reopened. My wife took me last weekend and I ended up getting it for 20 bucks, which was awesome. Nice. Yeah, that one, I mean, the last time I looked at it, it was very hard to find and high valued. So, Speaking of RPGs, they had a copy of Azure Dreams for uh, about 60 bucks. Hmm. And then I went back and they had it for 3750 which I think is like a fantastic price on that game. I didn't pick it up. I've read some reviews on it and watched some video, and it's just not something I'm interested in. I, I love collecting RPGs, but at the same time, I want it to be something that I'm eventually going to play, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then the other day, I picked up uh, Kinka Boncho for PSP. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought I had picked up every PSP game that I wanted that was on my wish list, but then you did that review and uh, made me want to pick up that game. So I had that one lonely game on there, and I was able to complete that. So thank you for your review, and I'm really looking forward to that. Awesome. I got a copy of Akari Warriors complete in the mail for the Atari 2600. Yes, they had it on the Atari 2600. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's really bad. Yeah. It's Atari <laughs> graphics. <laughs> but uh, I have a collection of Atari loose carts that's over 500 games. So when I add a game, it's always such a great feeling, you know, because I just don't come by them that often that I really need. So that was a cool moment. And then just a few more things. Our anniversary, my wife and I, anniversary was in May. And instead of her really buying me anything, she got me a card and an eBay gift card, which I thought was amazing. And I was able to purchase a complete copy of Fantasy Star 4 for the Genesis. Very cool. Which is cool because it's not only it's a game that I've wanted for a long time and I've heard is such a great game. But I can look at that now, like a lot of stuff in my collection, and say, oh, I remember I got that from my wife for my anniversary. You know what I mean? I can put the context with the game. And I always like to do that when I'm going through my collection. There's a a lot of games that were either given to me or traded to me from uh, a lot of people on the site, a lot of people locally. And so that's always just a wonderful feeling when you look at your collection and see that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. And then the last thing, I went on a wild and crazy tear... (laughs) buying ps4 games sounds familiar (laughs) (laughs) well i didn't go that wild and crazy like you did last (laughs) (laughs) i picked up a copy of battlefront horizon zero dawn doom the last guardian from gamefly Mm -hmm. and i picked up a copy of overcooked which was the game i don't know if you remember or not but buried on mars had recommended that he was playing it with his wife yeah couch co-op game yeah there's actually a physical copy on PS4, and luckily one of the GameStops in my area had a copy that was used, and uh, out of the 20 or 30 GameStops in my area, that was the only one that had it, so I picked it up. So Awesome. 
And the reason for picking up all this PS4 goodness, I finally got a PS4, man. Yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> the joke of both of us not having PS4s can finally die. <laughs> yeah, we can start playing some uh, playthrough games for PS4, which is going to be really nice. Yeah. During E3, PlayStation did a really cool sale where they came out with this limited edition one terabyte gold PlayStation 4, and that's the one I picked up, as I mentioned. I was waiting for the price to drop between 250 or 200 bucks, and it just happened to hit 250 and I uh, just told my wife, and so I got that for Father's Day this year. So uh, it's a very generous Father's Day gift. We typically don't spend that much money on each other, but... Uh, you know, I think my wife knows it's been kind of a rough few months for me, and uh, I'd done something really nice for her for uh, our anniversary, so that was sort of her way of giving back to me, and uh, I'm really appreciative and, uh, you know, can look at this PlayStation 4 and know, you know, that it was a gift from her, so that's really cool. That is awesome. Congratulations, man. <laughs> Thank you. RFG Playcast. Yeah. We modern now. <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, no, that's awesome. I'm glad that we both got them around the same time so we can talk about games, even if they're not playthrough games, you know? Uh, that, Absolutely. That's always very nice. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. I can't wait till you get a chance to play it more. Or when we get into what are you playing, we'll talk about some of that. But I'm really happy for you. Cool, man. Well, sadly, with the injury, I'm not able to bend down and hook it up. So ah, okay. That's where I'm at now. I have not even turned the thing on. It is still in the box. So, yeah, there's that. Yeah, that's sad. <laughs> it is sad. <laughs> I'm to teach my kids how to hook up systems. Yeah, no, that's a good skill to have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Let's hear about what you picked up this past month. All right. Well, like I said, nothing too crazy. I have a few things that are coming in that I'm excited about, but I'm not ready to talk about them because I don't have them yet. Um, I grabbed this game called Colot. I think that's how you pronounce it for the PS4. Um, This is another one of those import only. If you want a physical copy, I got it from the UK. I saw it on a YouTube video. looked pretty cool. Like a a kind of a horror story walking simulator type of game. So I grabbed that. And I once again got snagged by the limited run games, uh, you know, (laughs) the collector trap, I guess you could call it. I didn't even know they were going to do this. But when I saw the email announcement for it, this game called Strafe, which is supposedly some kind of throwback to like uh you know like quake 2 or doom or just a ultra fast super difficult first person shooter but they they didn't publish this game Uh, another company called special reserve games did but limited run did a cover variant and oh my god my (laughs) my long dormant collector senses started going off (laughs) And uh, when I got the email, it wasn't like an announcement. It was like, this is on sale now. 1,000 copies are available. So I happened to be at a computer, and I just jumped on, and I snagged one. It sold out in like a minute, and uh, I happened to get one. So it was the impulse buy of all impulse buys. Like, 
it was literally an impulse, you know? <laughs> well, it has to be because you have to make that decision within seconds or it's gone. For that situation, yeah. Like, a, I mean, they might have scheduled this and announced it and I just missed it. But yeah. I don't remember seeing they I'm not going to say they spam, but you'll get a couple emails during the week before they actually release something and they tell you what time it comes out. That's how I'm, I'm going to say actually 100 percent of the time I've gotten games that I've wanted from them. You just got to log on and keep refreshing until you can grab it. Uh, this one, it just was like, whoa. They got a game coming out, and it's not even their game. That's kind of weird. It's you know what I mean. So I was just like, yeah, "Oh, yeah, yeah. I want that. Like, I need this. I don't even really know what it is. I just I know I need it." So, <laughs> well, I know Play Japan does sort of the same thing. I, I've missed games that I even get notifications on. They just go so quick. Um, yeah, I was gonna get that Darius Burst game, and it it went out. And then there's some other bullet hell shooter that they've got. They're listing right now. I'm just like, I'm not even going to bother. I love shooters, but at a certain point, it just kind of gets to where you, you're not ever going to be able to get everything and just kind of made my decision pretty easy for me. I just wish they would do a lot more copies than what they do a lot of times. It just seems like it feeds that eBay fire, you know? Yeah, it really does. And I, the first games I bought off Limited Run, I intended to flip and I ended up not flipping any of them. I, I didn't really want to be part of that. And now... Every time they release a game, like this Strafe game was on eBay before it even, you know, shipped uh, yeah. with people trying to sell it. So, yeah, I mean, Limited Run, they're, I mean, at least in my eyes, they seem to be very popular. Oh, yeah. They have their detractors because of what they're doing. But I think a lot of these games are on eBay because people know they can make money from them. If it's a, a week or a month after that game came out, people still want it. They feel like they missed out on that initial mm -hmm. sale and yeah. they're willing to pay that marked up price for something that they wanted. But once, yeah. once it dies out or they start doing larger print runs or whatever, I think maybe the prices will settle down a little bit. Well, I think they're still a small company. They don't make a whole lot off of their games. Because they sell them at a really nice price most of the time. Yeah. And so I think, you know, there's something to be said about that, and it's it's very respectable. And I think that they're just trying to recoup their money, but also make a little bit more money, too, and they just don't want to overbuy. And for that reason, I can, you know, I can give them a pass. I don't look at them like I look at the stupid <laughs> Nintendo does sometimes. Right, you know? right. So, um, yeah, for sure. Cool. I also grabbed off that same Gamefly sale. I ordered Dishonored Two. I also ordered a copy of The Last Guardian, but sadly, it was it didn't work, and I had to send it back. And they don't do yeah. uh, they don't do exchanges. They only do refunds. So I'm just gonna have to wait. I'll buy another copy down the road. Yeah, maybe it'll go on sale on Gamefly again. That's the weird thing. Yeah, that's my only knock on Gamefly. Is I don't understand why they can't just exchange your copy for a new copy if it works. I've had that happen to me before as well. Yeah. So you and I talked about it, but uh, that's my only knock. Yeah. My theory would be just inventory. I know a lot of those fire sales they have, the games can sell out pretty quickly. So yeah. if their policy was to offer replacements, I could see it being difficult for them uh, if they didn't have stock of everything. Yeah. But I guess my thing is, is like, you know, I'm, I'm big into pinball. And so a lot of people do like runs of like play fields and things like that. And what they'll often do is they'll overmake what they projected to sell. So if anybody does have a problem, they can correct it and they have some overstock to do that. And then after, you know, like a few years or so, once everyone's happy with what they have, 
then they will put that overstock up for sale. You know, mm. limited overstock up for sale. And I think I've seen that on limited run games a few times, actually. Like, oh, we've got like a hundred more copies. You can come get them right now. Yeah, you know? they've done but, that. But uh, I feel like, you know, I feel like a company like Gamefly, as big as it is, should be able to put back maybe a hundred copies or so just to help out people, you know, or at least say, hey, you know, we can help you out until we've got too many that don't work. Yeah. That's my only knock. I still love ordering from them, though. They always have good prices on their sales. Yeah, me too. And I don't even take the stance that you do. I'm I'm perfectly happy with a refund. You know, I don't care. It's it's not like I bought it for a dollar and I'm losing out on that value. Sure. It, it was twenty dollars, which is a good price for that game right now. But I don't feel like oh, I missed out. I'll never see that price again. You know, or that game again. Right. Uh, you'll probably end up picking it up cheaper down the road. So I can understand with something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. My last pickup is kind of cool. I want to give a shout out to uh, Jason from GameRave.com. He's a friend of RF Generation. He goes by Danger Boy on RF Generation and many other forums, of course. He has a YouTube channel. His videos are awesome. He did a video on a PlayStation 1 game called Starfighter Sandvane uh, a couple weeks ago. And like any one of his videos, he just explained the game really well and sold me on it. And in that video noted that it's easy to find a very cheap copy. So sure enough, I go on eBay and I got a brand new copy for $5.99 with free shipping. (laughs) So it was a pretty cool feeling to get a brand new PlayStation 1 game. Uh, in the mail. I'm not a sealed games guy, but this thing just sitting on my table with the shrink wrap on it still, it, it just looks really nice. <laughs> and, I, and you know what? It smells so good when you... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But you can only open it once. That's the thing about, about that. So uh, Them's the rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could probably hear my pen like scratching across my uh, paper. As soon as you said PS1, <laughs> you know, I wrote, I wrote the name down. I'm, I'm really digging my PS1 right now. Awesome. Yeah, check out Jason's video on that game. It's it's very oh. compelling. Cool. Um, yeah, so that's that's it for my pickups. So I guess that just begs the question, Rich, what are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> You'll know why I'm laughing if you listen to the last episode. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm not playing a lot right now. Um, It's so funny that I'm not playing a lot and I'm working from home and and able to actually have access to games. It's just hard to bend down and, you know, pull things off shelves and things like that. But, of course, I've been playing a lot of Enslaved. It's only been a few weeks since we recorded Siberia, so it hasn't been a lot of time in between and I've really been plugging away at playing Enslaved. It's been an arduous task for me, being a more kind of classic gamer. So I kind of took my time going through that, not typically on purpose because I was getting my butt handed to me is why I took my time, but, uh, you know, trying to knock out a few chapters a day until I finish that, which has been nice. And then I'm also playing our July pick for the RF Generation playcast and for our community RF Generation, which is Shining Force 2. And I got to tell you, man, I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but I just really, really, really loving it. My son's been playing with me and he, he loves that you can like pick up different characters and they're all like different types of characters and he gets so excited when we pick up a new fighter on this game and so that is really cool experience and playing the second one just kind of reminds me even though it's only been a few years ago I have a horrible memory I I usually remember that I love games but maybe not why I really loved games so much 
but this game has given me the exact same feels that I had when I played the first Shining Force for the first time a few years ago for the show, and uh, man, so great. So, so great. I'm hopelessly addicted to playing this game. I want to play it all the time. Wow. Most of our listeners will know I was not present for the Shining Force 1, and uh, I kind of regret it. I don't like to use the word regret like very lightly, but uh, I wish I'd have played that with y'all, and now I'm I'm excited to just jump into the second one. Yeah. Well, for those who don't know, at the time what it was was we were doing a modern show, and we were doing a retro show. Oh, that's right, you, yeah. Yeah, and so you were primarily doing the modern. I was primarily on the retro and then I think it was Floyd, and I don't remember if it was Steven at the time or if it was Jamie during the time. Those guys would just kind of float back and forth. Mm. I always played retro, and you always played modern. And so you and I really never got to podcast a whole lot together unless we wanted to play two games a month, which sometimes we did. But a lot of times that was too much of a task, especially when you have an RPG as one of the titles, right? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, man, if you like this one, you should definitely go and play the first one. Got to get a copy. It's so good. Excellent. <laughs> well, uh... Oh, 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 sorry, sorry. I, I think you're waiting on this. Okay. Sean, <laughs> tell me. What are you playing? <laughs> well, Rich, I'm playing a lot of the usual, uh, still on Persona 5, and I'm really hot and cold on that game. Uh, not as far as enjoying it or liking it, but just being hardcore about playing it for hours a day or for a whole weekend and then just putting it down for a week and playing something else it's a long game you have to yeah exactly i'm about 80 hours in so it's a huge time investment and you know not one that i'm taking on begrudgingly i just i knew i what i was getting into it's just sure. when i played persona 3 and 4 and some other crazy long games like fallout 3 sometimes those games that's all I play until they're mm -hmm. done, you know? Um, yeah. But with this one, it's just, you know, I got the PS4, so I wanted to play a bunch of PS4 stuff. Uh, I was playing Black Ops 2 multiplayer for a long time. Uh, so other things were just kind of demanding my time. But uh, I'm still playing it. Last week I played it a ton, so... Yeah, I remember Krabby saying he's put he had to put it aside actually to play Enslaved. He said, I don't know if I could put Persona 5 aside to play Enslaved, but he did. And, you know, he finished, I think, Enslaved within a few days. He'd played it before. But then I'm seeing the same text from you. I hope I can finish Persona 5 up before we start uh, Shining Force 2. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think I won't finish Persona 5 before we start Shining Force because that's yeah. only like two weeks away. Uh, so, but that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I could still play them both or... I've been cutting up my time a lot more with games where I used to, I used to be really strict with myself of I'm only playing one console game at a time until I finish it and one handheld game at a time until it's finished. Mm -hmm. uh, but lately I've been more liberal with those rules, uh, obviously. So That's good. I can't be like that. It's just a personality thing for me. I want to play the one game till I finish it and then start something new. I'm the same way with books. I can't read more than one book at the same time. And then I'll have friends that will be reading four and five books at the same time. It just blows my mind how they can do that. Yeah, that's that's kind of weird. I'm, I'm the same way with books. Yeah. I read one at a time. And I know people who, who do the multiples at the same time. That is kind of weird to me, too. But just to move along here, I... I just finished this morning Killzone Mercenary on the, the Vita. 
Oh, which cool. is uh it's funny because i didn't realize it was playstation plus i must have put it in my queue whenever it came out two years ago or who knows when and uh i saw it in my download queue i assigned it to my vita but i didn't have enough space on my vita and this was like months ago and then i must have like cleaned the fridge and deleted some stuff off my vita and one day i realized i had killzone mercenary on my vita <laughs> finally <Awesome>. so <laughs> i uh I played through that over the last couple of days and it was it's pretty good. I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. It was a very competent, decent first person shooter on the Vita. Compared to something like Black Ops 2 multiplayer, it's a little slow moving, a little sluggish compared to that, but for a handheld game, I mean, the Vita still to this day amazes me even with older games like this. Uh, what they were able to do with that for a handheld. It's just incredible. Yeah. Out of the 25 Vita games that I actually own physical copies of, that is one of them, uh, Killzone Mercenaries. And I remember, you know, when, you, when you're getting ready to purchase a new system or considering it, what I typically do is watch a lot of YouTube reviews and see what everybody's favorite games are. And this was usually in almost everyone's top 10. Yeah. I think I would put it as... Maybe not in my top 10 particularly, but for the average yeah. person, like this is a must have if you have a Vita. I would stand behind that for sure. Yeah, well, of course it's not in your top 10. It doesn't have cute Japanese uh, anime, anime girls. Chicks, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no pastel colors in Killzone Mercenary. <laughs> I know your style. That's exactly correct. Well, the next game that I played also had very few pastel colors, and that's uh, Until Dawn for the PS4. That's a game that we've mentioned a couple times on the show. It's very similar to games that we've played, like Heavy Rain and Life is Strange. Uh, It's definitely right in that genre. The only difference here, and you and I were texting about it, is... uh, Imagine Life is Strange or Heavy Rain, but you hate all of the characters immediately and want to see them fail and die. (laughs) Um, So that was a little, honestly, a little off-putting in the beginning of the game because the point of the game is, you know, if you want to, to make the people survive, but... I was doing the like fail run from the first 10 minutes of the game, sometimes putting the controller down, laughing as they're, you know, <laughs> falling off bridges and stuff. <laughs> um, there was a couple of plot twists that were intriguing enough that it kind of kept me going just story-wise to see what the resolution would be. And by the time I was done with it, I just had kind of a a love hate with it, you know. Um yeah. the first half of the game was very like this is a drag. I'm just going to push through it. I I absolutely hate every single one of these characters. But uh towards the end it was like, okay, that wasn't so bad. I I don't mind that I played that. And then I borrowed it from somebody, so it's not like I shelled out money for it. Um so yeah. If you can deal with unlikable characters, which a lot of people can, and I can, it's just these guys just rub me totally the wrong way. Um, I would recommend it actually for the mechanics for those, you know, life and strange, heavy rain ish type mechanics. It's just uh, another one of those kind of games. Yeah, this was uh, actually my first PS4 game that I picked up. I picked it up in Bloodborne at a pawn shop for 10 bucks. Nice. Um, they were just running a sale, and so I grabbed both of those, of course, before I had my PS4 system. So I didn't realize it was that same style, like Life is Strange. I mean, I knew it was survival horror. I've heard great things about the game, and a lot of people like it. Um, 
just the things you're saying about it, it's so funny. Like, you know, my wife and I do the horror podcast, and people complain about characters now that they don't mind seeing get killed off, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. like in, in more modern movies. But, like, when you were watching a lot of these slasher films in the 80s, there were these, like, bitchy characters. There was just this stereotypical bitchy character usually in the film. Mm -hmm. And even though they were just so bitchy and so annoying, you always felt bad when they died. Yeah. But I don't really feel that way anymore with modern films. I don't know if it's a a change in me or just a change in the way those characters were portrayed or if that was sort of the early instance of horror movies and, you know, we just kind of felt sorry for everyone that died in those movies. Uh, I don't know. I would just say off the top of my head in general, there's a character development nowadays is less of a priority. And even in an old school slasher movie, you would have a minimum of character development that would make you feel Mm -hmm. sympathetic to even, you know, a character who is unlikable on the surface. Whereas nowadays they're just fodder for whatever the killer or the monster is. Yeah. And I think a long time ago, we were always terrified of the killer and always rooted for the teens that were being chased. Mm. Now I think we sort of root for the killer. It's been this odd sort of change of pace, you know, like with Friday the 13th movies and and Freddy movies, especially after the first few, they became a little more uh, tongue in cheek, a little more comical. Yeah. And so we tended to root for the, you know, the slasher or whatever. And so that's that's kind of a, a difference, too, I think. But I think you're dead on with your thoughts as well. Nice. Well, that, that was a that was a <laughs> nice tangent. Show. Yeah. Join no. us sometime. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, so, on a totally different genre, I played through the Black Ops Three single player campaign, and normally something like that I wouldn't even mention, but it really surprised me how it's not like any other Call of Duty campaign I've ever played. It's very hard sci-fi. I mean, you're shooting robots a lot of the time. Your player character is part cybernetic and has like robot parts. And there's all this uh, virtual reality type stuff. And it gets very trippy near the end. I was I was surprised as heck playing this game. And uh, I think... People like me, who to a certain extent have written off Call of Duty games, Mm -hmm. this one's definitely worth a look. The single-player campaign of Black Ops 3, pretty interesting and impressive stuff. Yeah, I typically love those campaigns and those uh, Call of Duty games. I think you and I have spoken about it before. I know what you're playing is a little more futuristic. I'm more into like the World War I, World War II type games, Uh, the more historical campaigns. Yeah, well... There's one coming right up for you, Call of Duty World uh, War yeah. Two. So that looks. I saw it. Looks it looked great, Eddie. Yeah, it looks looks pretty interesting so far. We'll see how it plays out when it launches. And the last thing I'm playing is I just started today Uncharted Four, which again the same person who let me borrow Until Dawn, let me borrow Uncharted Four because I don't feel like I need that in my collection. So to just borrow it from somebody and play it over a weekend is perfect for me. I just started it today. I'm only like an hour in, but uh, looks like, you know, an Uncharted game so far. It's pretty, pretty <laughs> neat. And I'm sure I'm going to end up with the same kind of love-hate relationship that I have with every Naughty Dog modern game. But that's okay. Like, I've played them all. I figured, why not? You know, somebody let me borrow Absolutely. it. It's no big deal. And actually, the last thing before we move on to our main topic for the day, I just want to plug my article that went up on the site a couple days ago. As I alluded to last month, I ended up writing a review of the Attack on Titan 
game for PlayStation 4, and I highly recommend the game. And if you want to go check out my article, that would be appreciated. And uh, Rich, I, I understand that per our conversation last month, I maybe made a fan out of you of the anime. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. I'm really enjoying the show. I'm probably four or five episodes in now. I've had a lot of time to kill, so to speak, but uh, unfortunately this week my uh, son has been sick, so he's been spending a few days with me at home while I work. And when he's here, this is not a show for kids. Right, no. <laughs> so, so I haven't been able to watch a lot of it, so I've been trying to get back to it. You know, my first priority was to finish Enslaved, but then, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get back into watching that. So I'm hoping to pick up maybe an episode or two this afternoon after we're done with our call, because I am really enticed to see where this goes. And uh, it's uh, it's very interesting. The um, uh, Man, the Titans are so creepy. I yeah. Just, <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, and it's creepy in the, the weirdest sense of the word. You just you have to check it out. It's a really cool show, and I'm actually streaming it on Netflix right now. That's awesome. And you picked it up at a good time if you stick with it, because season two just finished out last weekend was the final episode. It was incredible. I don't know if I've ever cried at an anime before, but I <laughs> I almost did on this episode. <laughs> Man, the, the voice actor for... I'm not even going to say a character's name because it would be a spoiler if you know if that person okay. still exists or not. Um, sure. So I'll just say there there was one scene where, I mean, my hat is off to this voice actor because it was just gut-wrenching, the performance that this person put on. And, uh, man, I hope you keep watching and get through to season two because they just, uh, right after season two ended, they announced they were going to do season three, which... A lot of people didn't expect. Uh, I, for one, thought this was the end of it. That's that's the impression that I was under. So it's going to keep going, which is awesome. Yeah, the episodes are only like 20 minutes long. So um, yeah. definitely worth a watch and, and give it a shot. You know, hang in there for about at least three or four episodes. It starts out a little slow, I will say that. But um, once the fighting starts to happen and the training's over with, it uh, it really picks up. Yeah. So check it out and check out the game and check out my review. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was a great review. Thank you. Yeah. And just one thing I want to mention before we get into the game topic. I know this will be uh, hitting the air probably like the 14th or 15th of July. And it's kind of a shame that I'm now announcing this. But if you're at RF Generation, you can go to the website. We're having our annual Paint Yourself with Submissions contest where we ask all of our members to submit images, uh, submit information on games, do blog write-ups, any type of articles or anything like that. You get a certain amount of points for everything that you do. It's just it's differential, you know, it's a different base of uh, points that you get for everything. And whoever totals up the most points at the uh, end of the month gets a $60 shopping spree on eBay, GameGavel, Amazon, any place like that. Uh, and it has to be gaming-related. Plus, you get a RF Generation Ringer t-shirt. So even if you're getting this in your mid-month, it's not too late. You can still uh, plug in and make a, an attempt at uh, our submission contest. And it, it's something that we really love because it helps our site grow, especially getting in new hardware game uh, submissions. And then also, you know, having uh, photos and pictures of everything up is just really nice and really does a lot to uh, beautify and make the site even more useful than it already is. So just wanted to mention that. No, that's really cool. And I don't know if I told you this, Rich, but did you know I made my first database 
submissions about a month ago? No, I did not. Yeah, and it was for the game Kenka Boncho Badass Rumble. <laughs> I saw your name on that under skins. I was like, I did not know that uh, Sean contributed as far as submissions go. So that's very cool. Yeah, that game actually has an in-game screenshot thing, and it'll put mm-hmm. screenshots on your memory card. So I said, hell, I'll just throw these up on the site. Why not? Awesome. And uh, yeah, so that was my first ever database submission. Very cool. Yeah, um, I will not win the contest. I've gone through my entire collection and made sure everything had photos that I owned. Uh, down to the manual, down to the box, down to the, you know, any extra stuff that I had inside the game, flyers, you know, DLC flyers, yeah. uh, not showing the code, of course. And um, everything in my collection is current and has a photo of everything. I, I just made that a point to do that over time. And now, you know, when I bring a new game into my collection, I just go on and I check. And if it's not there, I just scan it in really quick to make sure that it's on the site. So it's very cool. I got to scan in The Last Guardian the other day, which made my jaw drop. Oh, wow. No one had done that yet. And I think I did Horizon Zero Dawn as well. You know, even though these are big name titles and a lot of people own them, people just don't take the time a lot of times to scan things in and put it there. And um, we've been doing a focus every month now to try to get games in there. I think we're doing uh, Nintendo DS in June, and I'm going to switch it up in July to something else, because it seems that the things that are lacking the most are modern contributions. So you'll see a lot of modern games that aren't in there yet. So if you're submitting, you know, keep submitting, man. That's great. I will. I will. Sometimes I do a write-up for something for the site, and I'll go to look for uh, an image, and I'll, I sometimes I'm stunned at this sounds really crappy to talk about our site like this. I don't. Our database is amazing. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say like, oh, I can't believe the crap that's not in there. What's going on here? But what I should see it as is an opportunity. Like when I, you know, review a game and it's not in there, that that's yep. on me, kind of right. Put it in there. So. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. It's not that our site's crappy. It's that it's the responsibility of all the members because it's a free site right. to make it better. Absolutely. You know? and, and that's what's great about it because it is free. And um, to me, I, I just think that's more beneficial. And putting scans of stuff in there, knowing that that's my scan, you know, that's really cool. I'm like, yeah, I did that. You know, I put that in there and uh, that just, you know, it makes me feel great. It's just that we track everything. We track every game out there, every system, even handheld stuff, you know, even the little Tiger Electronic stuff. Mm-hmm. So to think that there's something missing, absolutely. You know, and new games come out and, uh, you know, a few people will get that game. Some don't collect everything. It might be something that's more of what a lot of people consider shovelware title. So they just, they may not have the ability to scan it in or the time. So they don't. And so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff still out there that, uh, I think, you know, most people be surprised is not in our database as far as a photo. Most of it is already in there as far as, you know, the information. You could log it into your collection, but I'm talking about snapshots and things like that of the game. Thanks. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, are we ready to just go into the, the main thing here? Let's do it, man. All right.
right, so our game this month, I alluded to last month, we had a little bit of a, a hard time picking a game, but we have reserved lists that we review with each other, and when we came to almost a stalemate trying to pick a game, I just said, hey man, you have one of my favorite games of all time in your list, let's just play that, and the game turned out to be Enslaved Odyssey to the West. I actually originally owned this on the Xbox 360. Can't remember if I sold or traded my copy away, but I knew I needed that back in my collection, so I now own a PlayStation 3 copy of it. I've played them both, and uh, again, I was really just glad to see that on your list, something that we could instantly agree on, something that I knew I would love. We talked about you know, hosting games and taking risks with games like Siberia or you know, Shadow of Destiny or uh, whatever, but this one... This was a slam dunk for me. <laughs> you know, this is a, a shoe in. So it was uh it was an easy choice for me. Yeah, this is one of those games where I had always heard that it was sort of a hidden gem on the system from reviews that I had seen and that this is one of those games that you you know you really needed to pick up. But um, I don't know, and I guess we can kind of debate this later in our final thoughts as to whether this is actually a hidden gem or we, would we maybe refer to it as something else. Oh, perfect. I, I'm looking forward to that because, yeah, I have some things to say about that, that terminology. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's just go f through the participants besides yourself and myself, Rich. Uh, Dougley007, Crabmaster2000, again with some spectacular commentary on the forum this yep. month. Uh, we had from Germany, Eric Escapade, our old friend John, addicted from last episode, Zofar53, another guest from the show, Buried on Mars, and another good friend and former guest on the show, Pam, who noted that she didn't want to replay the game because she had played it in recent memory, but she's adding some valuable commentary to the forums also. So Yeah, and I just I just want to say something real quick. Pam said she'd played it like less than a year ago, so I get it. You don't want to replay a game you played that recently. But what I really do appreciate is that she was able to come on and give us some valuable discussion. And anybody that's out there listening, even if you've played the game recently or don't want to play it again, just want to come on and talk about the game. Yes. Um, we're always open and welcome for any discussion. It helps us understand the game more. There's some stuff that John Addicted put on there about, um, I, I can't think of the name of the series and maybe we'll get into it later, but uh, something he mentioned on the forums that uh, kind of went with the different characters in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very cool, very insightful stuff, and it just always helps us to understand the game more. And for me, it gives me a lot more enjoyment out of the game by seeing people's comments. Yeah, absolutely. We have such knowledgeable people on our generation. <laughs> it's wow. like... Plethora. As you're playing the game, reading the con it's like, did you know? Did you know this? Did you know that? Like, this is where this came from. This is why this is like this. This is what the developer was thinking when he wrote that scene. Like, oh, thank you. <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, so yeah, the the game was developed by Ninja Theory, who they have not developed tons and tons of games, uh, but notable other than this game, would be Heavenly Sword and the Devil May Cry remake. Have you played either one of those? No, but I do own the Devil May Cry collection for PS3, which is, I think, where they remade the games. And then I also own Heavenly Sword, which I picked up, you know, at a bargain price of maybe like three bucks or so and always heard that it was a good game. Yeah, they're both awesome games. And just saying, so you know, unless I'm completely incorrect and remembering it wrong, I think that Devil May Cry 
uh, HD collection is remasters of the original games. This DMC, oh, okay. this was the reboot that they did a couple years ago. The controversial one with the, the new character style for Dante. Some people really hated it, but both of the... They're always going to. Yeah, no, the, the, hey, purist fans, I mean, I, I I'm it. that way with some things, so I totally understand. But for my money, it was an awesome game. Heavenly Sword is an awesome game. So I would recommend both of those to any listener. The game was published by Namco Bandai in October of 2010 for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 and later released in 2013 as a, uh, not a game of the year, but an ultimate edition or whatever you want to call it. I forget exactly what it was called uh, for the PC. Mm-hmm. And that included, there was a, a DLC based on Pigsy that, I kind of dropped the ball here. I meant to look look at that or at least look at some YouTube videos of it, but I didn't. But that is included with that 2013 PC release. So the story here is pretty simple, and it's largely based on the ancient Chinese tale called Journey to the West. Yes, that's what I was referring to earlier. Okay. So I, I'm not an expert on this. I don't know too much about the original story. I know some stuff about the iterations of it this is one of those tales that just gets remade and remade and remade and with very interesting and varied results and this is one of them in the context of this game you start out on a slave ship and you take control of a big muscular guy who doesn't have a name at first but later becomes called monkey and he meets trip who is this beautiful young woman who is also on the slave ship she actually takes control of him with a slaver headband which is how the slavers control their slaves Um, she's kind of like a technical hacker type of character so she does this to him to enlist his aid and a little bit of muscle to go help her back to her family basically about halfway through the story, you find out that Tripp's family has been killed by the slavers. And then you meet the third character in the game, Pigsy, who helps you kind of get to the root of the problem and find them. <laughs> you don't actually yeah. find it. So I got to say, the concept of who these slavers are and why they're doing what they're doing is very ambiguous, even to the end of the game and even when you're done playing it. And as far as the story goes, I got to say, if it's done right, I love a science fiction story where you don't have to know every little technical detail of the universe that they're in. And the example that popped into my mind, I don't know if you've ever read the book uh, Gateway by Frederick Pohl. I have not. If you Google like top 10 science fiction novels of all time, that's usually on there. Uh, Okay. And it's a book that the author is telling you a story with science fiction elements in this universe that you will not understand, but it only makes sense for you to not understand it because otherwise it would just be a technical manual of all the things going on in the universe, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah trying to enunciate this idea I have about, (laughs) you know, like in Odyssey to the West, all you know is that there's these slavers. You don't know why they're enslaving people. You know you're in a post-apocalyptic world, but you don't know what caused the apocalypse, what happened, you know, where are all the people? 
you're just in the universe and you just have to understand it as it's presented to you. Now, if, if the creator is too ambiguous and you have no idea what's going on, that could be a problem and that you could just be totally lost. But as long as you have your bearings and there's some familiarity, there's some human element, I think that can really, really work. And I would I just offhandedly <laughs> recommend that book, Gateway. It's one of my favorite books ever. I got to read it again. I haven't read it recently, but it's an awesome, awesome book. Yeah, as far as the story's concerned, in playing this game, I had the feeling that, you know, maybe robots had taken over the Earth. Maybe we had, you know, at some point made them too smart and that they had gained control over the Earth and that human beings were used to sort of do their bidding. That was the original thought I had when playing the game. I didn't really put together the slaver concept until probably toward the end of the game mm. um, that, that there was this organization of humans that were behind everything. Right. So for me, it was kind of uh, I was really taken aback by the ending, which I'm sure, you know, we'll definitely talk about toward the end of the call. But uh, yeah, I was just kind of thrown into a story. And I think that's what the game does really well. I mean, even, you know, Krabby mentioned it, you know, he's like, man, this game starts out so cool, like throwing you into the middle of it. It's a great tutorial about how to use your weapons and things like that, where the screen kind of pauses. It is so action-packed from the beginning, and that's what really got me into the game. I think you probably remember my text the first time I played it, right? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't Way to be on it. <laughs> no, I sincerely don't remember what you said. <laughs> Well, it takes so many people. It, I, I, I was a little medicated at the time. So, A, maybe that didn't happen. <laughs> or, B, I was texting uh, the RF Generation crew about about it. So, that could have happened as well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was really blown away with the beginning of the game, the action pack. I think I mentioned the platforming to you. I had said that I like the platforming so much better on this than um, some other game that we had played like really recently. Uncharted, I think. Yeah, I do remember yes, that. Uncharted. Yeah, I, I think that's what I'm referring to. Okay. Probably had mixed conversations with different people. So. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it does It does definitely throw you right into it. Um, before we get into the gameplay, I, I just got to mention, this has to be one of the easiest character rosters we've ever done because there's actually only three, <laughs> three characters people. in the whole game. Yeah. Not counting deceased people who you discover, but that's just a story plot device but there's no main antagonist in the game there's no villain that you're trying to chase down like we said it's this ambiguous question of who are these slavers who are the people or who is the intelligent thing that's in charge of what's going on here sure. but our main characters are monkey trip and pigsy as i mentioned before and one thing that I think is kind of notable about the game is that Andy Serkis, who is probably one of the most famous uh, motion capture actors in, in the world, played Monkey. And uh, Lindsay Shaw, who is an actress who is, I didn't know about her. I had to kind of look her up and uh, she's been in a lot of TV. Uh, she played Trip. And unlike something like Heavy Rain, where they modeled the characters exactly after the actors themselves, this game, they designed characters that are not completely different from 
you know, Lindsay Shaw and Andy Serkis in real life, but they're different enough that you don't look at these characters and say, oh, that's Lindsay Shaw from that TV show I like. They, they don't look like their real life counterparts. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, some, some games are like that, you know, <laughs> other games, they just, yeah. you know, they put Ellen Page in the game, you know, so that's pretty cool. So since we've covered the characters already and as we were kind of teasing anyway you get thrown right into the, some of the gameplay mechanics actually almost all of them this thinly veiled tutorial level in that first level and i shouldn't even say thinly veiled because it's very intuitive and it's one of those well done tutorials that doesn't really feel like a tutorial where you are thrust into combat and this game has hand-to-hand combat it's not very sophisticated it's just you know square square triangle kind of stuff you know and uh there's also shooting mechanics because uh, monkey has this like staff i always call it the q-tip because that's what it looks like to me (laughs) Uh, and so he's just running around with this q-tip that he can battle people with hand-to-hand but he can also shoot projectiles from it uh, so there's a third-person cover-shooting element to this game, which is pretty cool. And then there's also some one-off or two-off sequences where you'll ride a turret or you ride this thing called the Cloud, which is like a multi-directional surfboard, which, which everybody loved. Actually, like that's pretty much it. And a lot of our discussion, a lot of maybe criticisms of this game is that the gameplay itself the mechanics are not very deep i'm gonna ask you rich for someone who's not used to modern games but you have played enough i mean you played uncharted you played the last of us i mean how did you feel about the hand-to-hand stuff the shooting stuff how did it stack up against other modern games that you've played I thought it was really well done. I mean, if there was any lack of what you could do in the game, I didn't notice it. And again, this might be a product, I think I mentioned before, of me not playing a lot of modern games. It seemed that all the controls were used in some way, you know, like R1, R2, L2, L1, plus, you know, all of your buttons. So there was some sort of keying to every button on the gamepad. So there was significant stuff to do, but like you you had a button that was mapped to trip where you could get her to do stuff. So that took that sort of out of combat, you know. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I found myself hitting L1 or L2 and taking myself completely out of combat. I would call trip instead and it would pause the screen. So that was uh, that's interesting. <laughs> that, that was kind of a problem sometimes. That happened to me quite a lot. And and again, that's that's me. I mean, with new controls and getting used to everything and just getting really excited, kind of not being able to stay calm while, you know, I'm I'm playing this game and fighting these things. It's more frantic for me than probably most people that were playing it. But uh Yeah, like you said, nothing overly complex, and I think you can add to your mechanics by putting points in certain areas as well to make the game a little more enjoyable. Yeah, definitely, and that kind of brings us to the next element of the game. There is a a tiny, tiny bit of collecting in this game. its I don't want to say it feels tacked on, but I think it feels like one of those things that somewhere along the development of this game, they said, hey, wait a minute, we need some kind of upgrade system. How do we do it? And they said, well, sprinkle energy orbs throughout the game, you know? Yeah, which is kind of odd. Yeah, and but it doesn't need to be Skyrim depth of customization. It's just a yeah. little bit of a 
upgrade system where uh, you can upgrade your shield and health or your melee moves or your projectiles. I did what I always do in every game, which was did the shield and health first because I like to be safe and stay have alive. a yeah, stay alive, have a good good health bar. And then I went into the melee stuff and then later in the game upgraded the Q-tip cannon, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. which I tried to play around with that more this time through the game. The first time I didn't do a lot of shooting unless the game absolutely required me to. But one thing I did do, for those who haven't played the game, there's robots that have shields on them. And your projectile has two different types of shots, which you change with the D-pad. There's a stun shot and a, like, assault or, you know, an actual projectile power shot. And the stun shot only will stun, literally, a robot. But that's also the only way to get the shield to go down with a shot. You can't just normal shot it. The thing that I'm guessing you found challenging, and I did too, was trying to do that with the melee combat because you have to do this wind-up attack that when you're in the heat of battle seems like it takes forever and you usually get knocked out of it by another character. Like you're trying to wind up that stun shot melee move and you get hit from somewhere else and it's it gets really frustrating. So that's when I started... Uh, you know, I'm going to back off. If I see an enemy coming at me with a shield, I'm going to get his shield down first and then run in and start a rumble. But yeah, that's, uh, that's the gameplay for you. The cloud segments, as I said, were pretty cool. I think a lot of people on the forum liked them a lot more than I do. I found, uh, I did not. Oh, you didn't like them at all. Okay. No, 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 I did not. I thought it controlled kind of wonky, but I mean, I know that's part of it, you know, mm. because something like that should be a little out of control and you have to kind of get used to it and adjust. But I found like a lot of those chase sequences that are in the game, I think there's two specifically, uh, I had to do those over and over and over yeah. again until I finished them. Yeah. yeah, it can be tricky to control on that. It can be very slippery, it feels like. It's almost like, you know, an ice level from any other type of game. Uh, where you feel like you're just sliding around. But once you get used to it, it's fine, I think. And also, you you only use it like in three or four major sequences throughout the whole game. And they're not all these high-stakes chase sequences either. Some of them you have to like jump across platforms to hit a switch or whatever. And those are the ones that they frustrated me more because it's like, come on, I just got to jump over this platform to this next <laughs> one. And I kept falling off. And yeah, that, that got a little bit frustrating. And like I said, too, there's some escort vehicle missions, turret sequences, the normal like action game fare, but they're all done well enough. So, yeah, I really love the platforming in this game, just to kind of go back to that. And I know you've spoken to it a little bit here, but uh, what I refer to is these holy crap moments. Yeah. Um, I really liked where you would jump on a ledge or a handhold and then it would start crumbling. You'd have to jump again really quick. I really love the animation behind that. And it just made everything feel so dire and drastic. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought they did a really, really good job with that. It made the game a lot more fun and interesting. Yeah, I agree. And for those who don't know, this game has the same kind of climbing mechanics that are present in the Uncharted games or the, mm -hmm. you know, reboot Tomb Raider games. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they're exactly the same in this game as those other games. It's almost like climbing on rails kind of thing, because all you got to do is kind of squirm the control stick around and mash the X button, you know, <laughs> most of the time. Yep. Yep. But uh 
I don't know where it's kind of drab or even irritating in other games. I just found it to be kind of natural and had a good flow to it in this game. Even when the hand grabs are flashing, shine, there's never a question of where you need to go. You just do it. And that's one of the things I really liked about it, as far as that compared to the first Uncharted game. Now, I'm not talking about the later ones where, from what I understand, they got a lot better. But this, I never felt like I got lost anywhere in the game. There, there might have been a few moments where I'd have to look around for a minute or two. But, you know, it was really easy to find uh, where I needed to platform next because it would be shiny. And like you said, you know, you could just kind of hit the thumbstick and hit your action button and you would just naturally, like, move to the next one. Mm-hmm. I think the developers just did a great job with it. It felt so fluid. It looked really good. Like I said, there were these like holy crap moments that really got you excited when you were playing the game. And it just, it feels really, really nice. Cool. We should probably touch on the kind of escort mission aspect of the game. That's something that Pam brought up. And it's something that really reminded me of some of the other games we played. Definitely The Last of Us or games that I've played in general, not just for the podcast um resident evil 4 it's not it's nothing like resident evil 4 i would say but just uh having trip as a character who contextually as pam said can be very annoying you know take a drink every time she says monkey help and and you'll be in trouble or she's bossing you around which is even more annoying on on mine right (laughs) i hate it all like you need to do this you know that would just come up and it's like really i mean you need to calm down a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm the one like taking out all these big robots and stuff, you know? So yeah. It was a little grating for me. Yeah. But we'll talk about some more of that later. Yeah, no, I just think that, well, from a gameplay standpoint, not a story or character standpoint, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm remembering, but other than that initial sequence where you learn how to use her decoy function, there's no point in the game where you have to like protect her, I don't think. There's the part on the bridge where you have to make sure it's clear but all you do is tell her to move when it's clear there's no right like i said it's not like resident evil 4 where you have to like carry her around and hide her and get her out of danger's way and she's constantly running into trouble and danger i would say it's more like the last of us where she's just someone who kind of follows you around and adds flavor and context to the story and she has those special skills like the decoy skill or there's a couple puzzles in this game and you can use her to do these like switch puzzles for that yep. those bridges that you move or whatever yeah, and, and none of the puzzles are all that difficult either. I think they did a good job with those, just to mention that really quick. But but yeah, you're right about her. Um, I, I really felt like they did kind of a good job with her. I, I like the distraction. I like the fact that she's the one that can upgrade your equipment. Like you said, there's the other thing where she can move, and then there's a fourth option where she can heal, Yeah. Um, which I felt was basically useless because there were no times when you could really use that when you're just kind of walking along with her to you know be able to heal back up i think i used it once in the entire game yeah and i think as soon as i was able to i upgraded to having uh regenerating health and there's also health packs like kind of all over the game so oh you get plenty of them yes but yeah i think the companion mechanic for trip was fine for me so i mean we talked a little bit about the combat and we've mentioned the enemies themselves are all mechs or robots or whatever you want to call them uh automatons maybe no just kidding um (laughs) but yeah that's that's it there's variation but you're basically fighting the same three types of robots through the whole game 
Um, there's also turrets, there's mini bosses and there's, mm-hmm. you know, full fledged, legit boss battles. Sure. Um, I mean, there's games where you just fight the same two different skins of soldiers over and over again. So I'm not, I'm that usually doesn't bother me and it didn't really bother me here. I thought the sounds the robots made, the presentation was very intimidating the way they looked and, when they came at you in a group, it was thrilling and scary or whatever you want to say. And uh, mm-hmm. I just look forward to smashing them up because the sound effects were really cool. It's very flashy when you're tumbling around with your Q-tip and smashing them up and the sounds and they're exploding. So I didn't mind the lack of variety in the enemies. Were, were you the same with that? Yeah, I, I didn't mind the variety of enemies. I, I didn't get tired of it. I think toward the middle of the game, they um, put in a stronger enemy that can actually break through your shield with the an initial punch, which you know makes the game a lot more challenging. One of the things I did like with the game, to give it a little bit of variation, I think what they did was nice, is they added the glitches in some of the robots, where you could like attack them and like maybe pull an arm off and shove it through their back and then they would turn into like a bomb yeah. and throw at other enemies. Yeah, that was awesome. And, and there were some. There were some that you could take out and you knew if it was glitched, you took it out first and it would create a stun and everyone around them would be, you know, immediately stunned and you could kind of finish them off if you were quick enough. Yeah, that's very and true. And so I think that's one of the things instead of just reskinning a bunch of enemies and having a lot of variety, like you were saying, they just sort of added these glitches to these robots that were scanned by trip and then you could incorporate that into your plan of attack which i thought was really cool i liked it a lot yeah and the other thing is the boss battles the game does this one thing that some people might not like i don't like it sometimes but they'll take a boss that is initially like this big deal like the first or second level boss then becomes like a mini boss like four other times later in the game (laughs) so they do that here but it's not again like they do all these things in this game rich that any other game i would be like that sucks why did they do that like why would they repeating bosses like that you know but i don't know everything they did in this game that i usually don't like i'm just like "Eh, i'm okay with that like I don't know. Like, I think I just have maybe an emotional attachment to this game. But also, like we said, man, if there's something about it, it just controls better. The pacing is better. It flows better than some of these other modern third-person action adventures we've played. But just getting back to that, like, the boss battles are pretty cool because they are like pretty old school ish in that it's not just run up and attack. Each one has a gimmick kind of. A lot of them involve uh, making them charge at you and smash into a wall, and then you attack them from behind. But there's more complex ones than that, especially the final boss, which, um, again, I got to shout out Pam for just commenting on the difficulty of it. And I was curious with you, Rich, as far as the whole not being used to modern games, how you did with the final boss, which is, I should explain... Uh, towards the end of the game, you commandeer this vehicle called the Leviathan, which is, we talked about turtles before. It's kind of like the Technodrome. It's just this gigantic, <laughs> massive tank weapon thing. It's like the size of, you know, 10 buildings put together. And it's just walking down this desert. And um, this scorpion 
robot gets on top of it and is just clamped on and you have to do all these special things to disable its weapon which is a tail that shoots and mm-hmm. has these claws that come at you and you have to do the platforming and meanwhile there's all other robots coming at you and there's a sequence of things that you have to do yep man i mean this is one thing the game got right in my opinion it's not a quick time event and it's not something lame it's a legit final boss very satisfying very grandiose big exciting so what did you think about that you know, I think they did a good job with it. And I think you mentioned they incorporated so many things, which is nice. Uh, you've got your standard combat, your melee that you have to do against the ads that are in. Mm-hmm. And then you have to fire at the different parts of it with your uh, Q-tip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to do platforming as well. So I think it's like kind of that ultimate test of can you do all these things successfully? And so it does make for an adequate, uh, not the best final boss in a game, but it's adequate, right? One of the things I really like about the game, and I played it on um, normal difficulty, is that even if you die during a boss fight, a lot of times you don't have to start that boss fight all over again. You can actually start it from the middle or three quarters of the way through sometimes, depending on how far you get. Uh, with full energy. So yeah. I thought that was kind of nice. And even if I did struggle with it a bit, props to picking up a lot of late gaming orbs. And <laughs> um, and for that, I got that special staff move. Did you ever get that? That kind of charge thing where you make so many hits and you can do that special move. Yes. That varies. Yeah. It's amazing. I wish I would have had that earlier. And then I also picked up the evade where you could roll under the shield enemies and do this little like, almost like a dragon punch <laughs> from Street Fighter 2. Nice. And then what that does is it unlocks them or stuns them, and then you can just go into your combat. If I was playing this game again, I would get that evade first off just to uh, get through those shielded enemies. That really helped me at the end of the game. But going back, I thought the final boss was adequate. I think it challenged everything that you had learned to do in the game as far as control-wise. Nothing overly flashy, but long enough to be sort of head-scratching and annoying enough to be considered final boss. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, checkpoint system in this game, and that's something that we've talked about in the past for certain games. And I got to say, I just finished Killzone Mercenary this morning, and I wasn't very happy with some of the checkpointing in that game. And I would go through two or three rooms full of enemies and then, you know, fall off a ledge or something, and I had to go do it all over again. I believe there should be a consequence for dying in a game. You you shouldn't just be put back right exactly where you were or there's no point. But also like when you're fighting the final boss of a game and it's a, you know, it's going to take you a half an hour and you do these big technical things, you know, in the first stage and then the second stage is something completely different. I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect a checkpoint after that first phase. And you have those here. And that, you know, that was very gratifying to just be able to know that as you were going through that. Like, if I die, okay, I'll I'll at least be at this part, you know? Yeah, that was really nice. I loved having, like, quick checkpoints, like, quick saves with the game. And then, I think you mentioned earlier, all the energy that's around, too. You never felt like you were ever depleted or that it was completely hopeless. Even when you'd start over to a new checkpoint, if you'd get to a certain part, you'd be really low on health. 
when you would come back, you wouldn't come back with that low health like some games make you do. Mm. In this game, you actually had full health, which I thought was really nice. And again, I mean, it's a modern game. They want you to finish it. They want you to get to the end. They want to challenge you, but ultimately they want you to put the story together. Right. And I think the major part of the game is the story. And one other cool thing they do at the end, I mean, it's not like some super cool special thing they did at the end, but they actually put a message on the screen <laughs> when Tri- when Trip says, all right, monkey, this is it. And then it pauses the game and on the screen it says, this is your last chance to upgrade. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I'll, I'll make sure I do that right now. Thank you. But yeah, even though it's your last chance to upgrade, you're still collecting orbs. I don't get it. And I was still fanatic about collecting. Yeah, you still want to get them? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think this game has a new game plus. Yes, it does. This game has new game okay. plus, so maybe that's why. Um, oh, maybe so. You can carry them over, I'm guessing. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah, I, do you have anything else about the gameplay? Again, it's... It's pretty varied, but it's not very deep, as we said, but all around very satisfying. I don't know if you have any further comments before we go into graphics and sound and whatever. I guess all I'll say is the one skill that I'm glad the final boss didn't have was having to use the cloud for anything. Oh, that would have been crazy. (laughs) Oh, that would have been awful. Because the other fights did. You had two fights against the dogs, and then you had the rhino fight as well, Mm -hmm. I think, with all the major boss battles. I thought they were spread out really nicely and appropriate as far as getting tougher in difficulty. But, uh, yeah, I just hated using the cloud during a lot of those sequences. But I will say that coming off that cloud and those takedown moves on those dogs was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> There's some really cool animations in this game. Even, like, sometimes when you finish off some of the mechs, like that kind of slow motion where you just see, like, your head and your steps. <laughs> yes. Slow motion going through them. That's so awesome. They did such a great job with that. Yeah. And I think, like, what you're talking about, like, there's so many things in this game that would annoy you with other games. But I think this game, there's something about it. It's just so cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the cool factor is probably what makes it not annoying or, you know, not satisfying. Whereas when you're playing something else, you might be a little dissatisfied. Very true. Well, let's talk a little bit about the graphics sound, the environments. Also, I want to touch on the uh, technical. We're talking about the environments? Yeah. No. Show. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well,. I mean, the world of Enslaved doesn't look like one that paid attention to the uh, recycling guidelines. Let's just say (laughs) that. Um, So I noted here, we played The Last of Us, and that game came out, I think, six years after this game. But they're so similar in the way that they treat uh, nature retaking the world after humans have largely died out. Completely similar, but different in one aspect and that's the science fiction kind of aspect of it because again we're not given some text crawl backstory of in the year 2020 there was a war between the robots and the humans and this is all that was left you know you you don't know that was called transformers the movie (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so you're just in this world and you know you're in new york city there's cars there's street signs for places in new york you see the statue of liberty in the opening level you do it gives you a context of where you're at you know in the world which is awesome but then unlike the last of us there's also this remnant of some futuristic world that has also fallen into ruin. And I think somehow the way they did this, the level designers, the, you know, the environment designers or environmental artists or whatever they're called, 
did a phenomenal job with this stuff. And it's so amazingly colorful. It's the most colorful post-apocalyptic world you'll ever see in a video game, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think the way they did just the crumbling buildings, the plant life, it's it's some pretty incredible stuff, Rich. I mm-hmm. think you might agree with me there. I do. I really like the different areas. I think Crabmaster mentioned it in one of his comments. He said that one of the neat things is that it starts out so colorful, you know, because everything's so lush, because the plants and everything have kind of overtaken all this technology and, you know, all these buildings and edifices. And one of the cool things is as you're playing through the game, you start going out toward the deserts and things like that. And, you know, basically where Pigsy lives and it gets a little bit darker, it gets a little bit gloomier, but it also really takes on that persona of that area as well, which is really, really cool. Even to the end where you going out to the pyramid in the Leviathan, I thought the people that designed this game and that put all the scenery in this game, just did a phenomenal job. And um, it just really adds to not only the texture, but uh, to the story of the game. Yeah, it's really awesome. Really something to behold. I just want to kind of interject here the technical issues of the game, because that's something it's it's fresh in my mind. Uh, By the time you hear this, it'll be old news as far as the foreman is concerned. But I just posted a couple days ago hey, wouldn't it be great if this game actually ran well? Because I feel there's a lot of technical issues, not game-breaking, not anything that would make you say this game is unplayable. But there's a lot of texture pop-ins, screen tear like crazy, and frame rate drops, which is funny because I mentioned frame rate drops on the forum, but I also mentioned in my Attack on Titan review that I'm not a frame rate hound. I really don't care. A lot of times the game has to go like slideshow for me to notice, whoa, the frame rate, you know? Um, But it's just something that in reading up on this game, it it was a common complaint. So I just kind of threw it in my comment on the forum and then everybody, not everybody jumping on me, but they, it was like, I don't really care about frame rates. And it's like, Whoa, wait, I don't either, but I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I responded to, you know, for me, the only problem that I noticed it was before the first dog fight. Okay. And it's the only area that kind of bogged down for me. Everything else I felt played really well. Again, you know, we know that I am not the biggest modern gamer. So for me, like hearing these terms like screen tear, you know, frame rate issues, man, I don't even know what that stuff means, (laughs) to be honest. I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, I'm so used to playing like the original games that came out in CD format, like PlayStation 1 and, you know, PlayStation 2. And there are always these little glitchy kind of technical issues. Mm -hmm. And I think playing those and kind of growing up on that, I don't notice things in modern games as much. I know that they should look better and they should be prettier. But when it comes to technical issues, it really just doesn't register as as hard with me, I believe, as it does with other people who've played more modern games, if that makes sense. No, that's completely fair. And I believe that's more or less what Krabby's point was, is that it's really hard for technical issues to take him out of a game. Yeah, it's really bad. (laughs) Yeah, and I can see that. I actually mostly agree with that. I'm the same way. I can play a game that's janky as hell, and as long as it's a good game, I'm fine with that. Even like Fallout 3 on the PlayStation 3, that game is borderline unplayable. The way the game breezes and glitches and crazy. Oh, man. Don't play Fallout 3 on the PlayStation 3 is what I'm saying. But anyway. <laughs> I'm sitting here looking yeah. at my copy right now. I was just saying that. <laughs> 
Um, but the point that I was trying to make on the forum really is that this game, even now, looks amazing. And the work that Ninja Theory did with the motion capture and facial animations was, to me, so far ahead of its time that I watch games now, like PS4 games, Xbox One games, where people will say, the facial animations in this game are really impressive. And I look at Enslaved and I think, my God, even now, those are very impressive. And for the time... And sometimes more impressive. Yeah. So... But the point I was trying to make was for the the artistry in this game, the work of art that this game is, I just wish they did an HD remaster where they cleaned up all those kind of minor technical issues. And it would be, I mean, it would be a certified masterpiece at that point. I, I mean, I'm going a little bit overboard because I love this game so much, but I think... <laughs> I think that would be amazing if they did that. They never will because this game didn't sell well and obviously they never made a sequel. Nobody knows about it, but uh, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. I think it's a very, very beautiful game. And then kind of what we're saying about these issues with gameplay, I just want to reiterate that even though we're mentioning these things is because we want to be fair and we want to be honest about our reviews of all these games we play, and we feel like this is something we have to mention. But please, don't let that dissuade you from picking up this game and playing it, because if you don't play this game because someone says there's you know some small like glitchy issues or something, you're really doing yourself a disservice for a game that has a great story and great action sequences. Definitely, definitely. So, I mean, we're at the end of our outline here. Is there anything else you want to touch on? I mean, we had a note about Pigsy, and I mean, let's just put it out there. Is Pigsy a worthwhile character? I mean, he's very unlikable at some point. I mean, there's a point where he essentially could have killed Monkey. There's a few points there. Also, he's like a pervert and kind of a jerk. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's a jerk yeah. to, like, he's a creep to trip, actually. But then at the end, he sacrifices himself by self-destructing the Leviathan to buy time for Trip and Monkey to run away to the pyramid. So for you, did that redeem him or was he just the unsavory character through and through? You know, honestly, for me, he wasn't an unsavory character. And I don't know, probably because... (laughs) I probably know a lot of people like you yeah. and probably maybe even related to some of them. I'm sad to say, um, but obviously he's a Southern character. You get that from his voice mm-hmm. and how he acts. You know, you feel like he's from probably from somewhere like Louisiana, you know, like on the bayou, you know, with the boats and things like that and the accent. And no, he didn't bother me. I actually really, really like Pigsy. I, I thought he brought a lot of comical relief to the game, which was a lot of fun. And just this sort of, you know, dichotomy between he and Monkey. I feel like in a way you feel a bit sorry for him because you don't know how many people are left in this dystopian universe. And though, yes, he's probably physically attracted to Trip, no doubt. I, I still think that there's this sense of loneliness to this character. I mean, he lives by himself, you know? Yeah. And uh, he has to spend a lot of time alone. And he's he's a really sad character. You're kind of put in this Adam and Eve situation where, you know, there could be only one, you know, male and one female to repopulate the world. Mm. You do get that feeling when you're in this game. And so for him to want to pair himself with Trip, you know, there's a part of you that kind of understands that. You know, this feeling of needing companionship or wanting companionship. So I do feel like that he is a bit of a sad character. And, you know, even though he's rough around the edges, very rough at times... I feel like he's a character that 
you know, at least I felt some compassion for. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe some other people could too, you know, if you really sort of looked and outlined the situation. No, that's that's totally fair. And I think Pigsy as a character is was successful in my playthrough as you know, when he was a jerk, he really rubbed me the wrong way and was a jerk and I hated him, you know, like yeah. <laughs> when he throws you in the pit with the rhino, it's like, dude, what the hell? Like, are you literally trying to kill me? And it's like, oh, I was just trying to scare him. And it's like, wow, like that yeah. really got me PO'd. But then yeah. at the end, good storytelling. Yeah, yeah, no. And then and then you form this weird, twisted, like kind of bond with him as you're mm-hmm literally stuck in these tight situations with him and then at the end you know the scene where he sacrifices himself was pretty well done you know not not exactly a tearjerker but it was like okay like this character he finds this redemption in this self-sacrificing action that he can do to give you know that life some kind of purpose to help monkey and trip so I kind of saw that coming. Do you remember the scene? Like, I think it's right at chapter 11. It's the like prologue scene. It's the video scene where he's driving the boat. They're collecting the parts and he looks back and Trip and Monkey are standing beside of each other. And the two like cranes make like a heart behind them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, And so right there, I kind of felt bad for him. I was like, man, he really does have, you know, some interest in Trip, I think, beyond like lust. And so and then later on in the game, he makes a penis joke and just wins me back over. (laughs) That's funny. I don't know how many times I've heard the word penis in a video game, but uh, I didn't remember that from my first playthrough, and it kind of shocked me this time, too. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah it cracked me up, man. It made me laugh. Uh, yeah, it's a little potty humor, man. It goes a long way. It's great. Yeah, it was funny. I don't want to dwell on it, but I think it's funny that they made that choice because they could have said that sure. in a variety of different ways, you know, like oh, that's my you-know-what, or that's my junk, or they could have used any kind of euphemism, but he just says, that's my penis. <laughs> that's, oh, that's my penis. That is, that is really funny, and, and just such a well-written like line that really catches you off guard. Yeah, he makes some other joke, too, that really cracked me up. I just had to pause the game. I was laughing so <laughs> but yeah. It's toward the end, but it's great. Um, yeah, and I did have something here about unlikable characters, but I wasn't only referring to Pigsy. Oh. Um, I was also referring to Trip. Okay, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that. Like I said, Pam had a little bit of a, an issue with Trip being so demanding or whatever word you want to use, and you mentioned the yeah. same thing. I don't know, man. I think I just fell for those eyes, that hair. No, I mean, (laughs) I mentioned on the forum, like we're talking about nice environments and nice character, but Monkey and Trip are two of the most attractively designed male and female characters I've ever seen. You know, like Trip is gorgeous and Monkey is just this beefcake, you know? So, yeah, I think that just aesthetically kind of goes a long way to the annoyance level of trip. But I can totally sympathize with Pam and you and people who would find her annoying or unlikable. I I can't, I couldn't argue with that. Yeah. Well, my major problem with her is not the beginning of this 
this whole process where she enslaves him to get to where she needs to go. I kind of get that. She wants to get back home and check on her father, make sure he's okay. She knows that she can't do it alone, so she has to enslave him. And I guess we should say, you know, enslaved has a dual meaning in this game. I mean, it's not only like the slavers enslaving all of humanity, but she enslaves a monkey. Mm-hmm. So it has that dual meaning. And so I think the part where I really disliked her is where he owns up to his end of the bargain, but then she still won't let him go. She's like, I got to get my revenge. Yeah. And her whole purpose of revenge is just so evil. You know, why not just live out your days together? Why not just sort of put this behind you and, you know, fight to survive? But she uses him as a puppet to take out this organization. Does he mind so much? I don't know. I think we we talked about on the forums is that one of the things is, you know, is there a romantic relationship between the two? We never know. That never really gets flushed out in the game. Mm. And you feel like it would, but it doesn't, which I was surprised. But I thought was a a really nice choice in in thinking about the game. But um, so you never know if he's romantically he loves her or if he feels like I don't have anything else in my life. You know, I don't have a purpose. So doing this is going to be my purpose. And that's why. You know, I'm going to join along. I did like one of the final scenes where she takes off the headband and she apologizes to him. And she feels horrible about it. And that made her redeemable in my eyes. And then he says, no, lock it back on, because obviously he cares enough about her to where if something were to happen to her, he would want to die anyway. So there is that sort of romance in it. It's a little brutal, but, uh, you know, it's there. But those are my issues with Trip. You know, that whole ideology of revenge and that she's willing to sacrifice everything, including another human being, to get what she wants. That was off-putting to me for a while until the very end. Okay, understood. I I like that you mentioned the uh, ambiguity of their relationship. I think that's something we should touch on for a second. I do like it because I think it's not like The Last of Us, where it's very on the nose that Ellie is a analog for, you know, what's the main character's name? I forget. Uh, I don't know. I did not play that much. Oh, that was that's on right. The retro side. Uh, One of my regrets. So the the main character's daughter, you know, it's a textbook father daughter relationship. There's no ambiguity there. Here, it could be that kind of relationship, but it could also be a romantic relationship. It could be that Mulder and Scully relationship, basically a, a will they or won't they kind of thing. But you're not given any sense of how much older Monkey is than Trip or vice versa. Who knows? And you get the sense that it, that bond could be one or the other or both. And it's pretty, sure. it, it's intriguing. And like you said, you, you never find out and you never know. And that's one of the beautiful things about the story is that all you need to know is that they have a very strong bond through what they've gone through together to the point where Monkey wants the, the headband put back on to see the whole mission through, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty special. That's not easy to do with a fiction and with character development.
I guess that brings us to the end. Before we get into our final thoughts, we have to talk about the ending of this game because <laughs> it's crazy. It kind of takes you by surprise, for, for at least for me, the first time I played it. And the second time I played it, now I was looking forward to the ending because I wanted to know if I could make more sense of it this time. And going through it this time, I kind of wondered what I thought was so crazy about it the first time because it's basically you get into the pyramid and then you, you realize there's this being that is enslaving all the people like Matrix style and they have those slave bands on their heads and they're just all in this room. I don't know if he explains, are they like fueling something like in the Matrix or... I mean, I don't even know, but he just says like, I'm feeding them their memories back to them, their pleasant memories. Mm -hmm. And part of the ending is Monkey even puts on that mask and he is just enveloped in this, what we would know as our modern world. And he just thinks it's beautiful. And then the game ends with Trip smashing the thing and killing the guy, which was pretty crazy. Like what an interesting choice. Um, And it pulls Monkey out back into the harsh reality that they're in. So the ending to me this time felt a lot more natural than the first time I played the game. The first time I played the game, the ending felt so out of left field and such a WTF kind of ending. But this time, maybe because I was expecting it and kind of knew what was happening, I was trying to read it more in the context of the game and apply it to everything I already knew, that it felt a lot more natural. So for you as a first-timer... What was it like for you? Yeah, I definitely picked up on those Matrix feels. Playing it for the first time, I enjoyed it. There's this kind of dichotomy that gets set up with these slavers as far as what's the correct way to treat humanity, to just enslave them and put images in front of their heads so that they can live out life in a state of happiness or bliss because of the state of the world, or to just let them you know, pick up and just start all over. And I think that's what monkey ends up battling with at the end Mm -hmm. though trip doesn't let that last very long she takes care of it she takes takes it into her own hands and you don't know whether that's she has an understanding of what's going on that these people are just puppets and are just looking at images you know looking at a screen Mm -hmm. uh instead of really living or if this is just an act of revenge because she's mad about the death of her father so it's an interesting decision that she makes either way whereas you know monkey's kind of you know, oh, this is pretty good. You know, this is amazing. It's beautiful. You know, and it's just sort of like, I guess it gives you the feeling like sometimes you have to break things down and start over and make things beautiful again. And that's the choice she makes in the end. And I think that that's a, I think that's a wise decision for humanity's sake, but uh, it definitely is thought provoking. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm the same way with the choice too. I mean, I hate, I'm sorry, I keep bringing up The Last of Us and I forgot that you didn't play it, but... <laughs> it's okay. Um, I, I don't want to spoil the end for you specifically. Uh, lis- I've listened to the Oh, show. okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so yeah, a similar decision is made to either save humanity or, you know, let it just rot basically you know rot to its own devices or recover but just in in its own way one person yeah yes in the last of us yes but uh in this situation a little bit different but kind of the same overall theme and i think in both instances it kind of goes with the choice that i would go with which is just Things have to happen naturally, even if it means the world is miserable or people 
I don't want to say if people die, like I don't want to be flipping about that because that's not what I mean. But if life is miserable, I think humanity deserves reality no matter what. That's just a personal feeling and applies only really to hopefully to the context of video games. Um, but yeah, I would agree with Trip and what happened at the end. So very interesting that uh, they hit on those themes and they took a story that was about these three characters and their bonds and their relationships with each other and they just turned it into, here, you were wondering what was going on the whole time? Here it is in a two-minute cutscene, the end, roll credits. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So that's the way the game ends. And uh, I don't know, I think... I mean, unless you have anything else about any other things we've discussed already, I'm kind of primed for my final thoughts here. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few things okay, that cool. I definitely wanted to talk about. We didn't talk about the music and the sound in the oh, game. Oh, you're right. And uh, I wanted to kind of go back and talk about that. As I've often mentioned, if music doesn't stand out, it just kind of fits with the game. I just don't pay it you know, much attention. I can just say it's good. Um, one of the things I really want to get a habit of doing for these reviews of these games is I really want to take the time after I've played the game to listen to the game. And so I've been listening to the soundtrack of this game. Cool. The reason being is, like, especially for me, this game was so intense with battles and just things flying at me and just me frantically pressing buttons on my controller like a moron, <laughs> I'm not able to really take in the music, you know? And so I think this really helped. Going back and listening to it, there's a lot of orchestral stuff, a lot of violins, a lot of flutes, xylophones, and in some places there's these, like, Japanese-sounding strings. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I noticed the most was the drums, which gives it a real, like, primal kind of feel you know it makes it more worldly because the drum is an instrument that's all over not specific to any region and has been found in so many cultures but it gives it that really wild and sort of primal feel which kind of matches the state of the world uh, that's in this game and so I can really appreciate the thought that went into that in making this game going back and listening to the music um, and before I get your thoughts I just want to say that listening to the soundtrack one thing that you don't get to hear and I think it maybe in the DLC is there's this like blues song that Pigsy sings and it's just about him not liking his robot wife so him tearing her head <laughs> off and then rebuilding a new one. Oh, man. You have to go and listen to this song, yeah, man. Yeah, I'll look it and up. I, I may have to put it at the end of the okay. show uh, for people to listen to so maybe I'll do that but I had to mention that before I forgot about it but uh, yeah, man, I, I'd definitely like to hear your thoughts on the music in this game. Oh, well, I hate to say this. I didn't pay too much attention to it. I think I need to take a more proactive stance like you just said you did and pay more attention. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean, in a game that I'm enjoying, it tends to wash over me unless it has a very distinct melody or theme like Child of Light did where it's like almost part of the game. It's mm -hmm. getting harder and harder for me to think about music and games for some reason. But this one... I feel like it, it was very adventurous and appropriate. I never heard music that I thought, well, this doesn't make sense, you know? So I got to say, like you said, the less you notice it, it's probably pretty well done. Yeah, well, I'm, I'll just say this. If you enjoy Inya, then this might be something you want to pump in your car. Okay. I like to... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that, like chanting and, and sort of things in it as well. So. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I guess kind of moving on to final thoughts, which I know which is where you were headed. 
I'd mentioned at the beginning of the call about this whole idea is enslaved Odyssey to the West, a hidden gem. Yeah. And I know you have really <laughs> strong opinions on this. So I'm going to let you go with it and I'll just kind of fill in with the end if any thoughts that I have. Well, I mean, I'll just say that hidden gem has become such a buzzword that it's become yes. encompassing of so many things that to me don't fit the definition of a hidden gem. And I've been so guilty of this in the past, thinking that any game that wasn't a triple A thing that also wasn't a piece of crap game was a hidden gem, quote unquote. But I'm going to tell you, as the YouTube culture has gone on over the years and now everything is top 10 hidden gems, this game's a hidden gem, it's become just saturated. And I got to tell you, all these games can't be hidden gems. <laughs> all these games that there's a hundred YouTube videos about, that ain't hidden anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, not not in the social media culture. Yeah, right. so I, I, again, I'll, I'll mention uh, Jason of GameRave.com. In his video at the end, he said, look, Nobody knows about this game, and you can buy it for $5 brand new. This is truly a hidden gem. Now, Rich, you had never heard of Starfighter Sandvane. You had to write it down when I told you about it. When I saw Jason's video, I did not know this game existed, and he made a case that it was a good game, and I was able to pick it up for $5 brand new. That is a hidden gem. Yeah, I'm going to be picking it up before uh, <laughs> this goes on uh, the air. Right. <laughs> Because we know what the playcast phenomenon is. So there may have been a point in time in history where Enslaved Odyssey to the West was released with little fanfare, although it got pretty good critical reviews, where people had kind of forgotten about it. And maybe for a brief stretch of history, it could have been called a hidden gem as people started to discover it. But now this game, as I mentioned in my conclusion of last month's show, this game is a bona fide cult classic. This is not a hidden gem. Everybody knows about this game. If you don't know what it is, you've at least heard of it and you know, oh man, that's that cool game that I, I know I should play. Yep. So this is not a soapbox stance. I don't care. You can call Super Mario 3 a hidden gem. I don't care. But it's just that that term has just lost its meaning completely to me. Yeah. Well, my thoughts on it are, one, you do care. Oh. And two... <laughs> <laughs> and then two, maybe a better thing for this might be Late Bloomer. Maybe this is one that just didn't come to sort of the video gamer's conscience until later. You know, I don't think it was one that was impressive when it was first out of the gates and one that was discovered later. But I don't think it's a hidden gem anymore. At one time, possibly it could have been. Yeah. But I think that now it's, you know, it's out there so much and so many people know about it that you can't call it that anymore, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think you can call something a hidden gem at one time and then change that perspective on it because so many people know it so well that uh, that its status changes. Right. Yeah. I mean, and so that's that's my two cents anyway. Very good. All right. Well, I mean, as far as final thoughts. Would you recommend the game? I mean, I, obviously we both like this game a lot. I mean, but as a newcomer, what are your final impressions here? Um, <laughs> one of the things you and I talked about through texting, I had a difficult time with this game on normal. Yeah. And of course you were like, why are you not playing this on Easy <laughs> Rich? Why are you doing this to yourself? It's a real ego thing, man. And um, I think a part of this whole ego is that I'm so used to playing such tough games a while back 
that True only had one or two buttons, but you know, I was, I'm so used to being so successful at those that it kind of grates on me to make that change to easy. I think what I'm going to do is going to start finding out, hey, is this something I can dial back on later in the game? Or is this something I'm going to have to stick with the whole way through? Because as I'm playing more of these modern games, I'm probably going to have to dial it back a bit, at least until I sort of get my sea legs and uh, am a little better at that. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I think one of the things is, unfortunately, there's this time in video game history where you got shamed if you played a game on easy. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, you'd like play a game and it would say, how about trying it on the normal level? Like, is your ending, yeah. instead of getting like an animated ending or congratulations or anything, it was like, how about trying it on a harder level next time? I mean, it's it's really shaming is what Yeah, it is. or think about like uh, the difficulty levels in Wolfenstein are still, sure. you know, the easy thing is don't hurt me, daddy, which is just, <laughs> I mean, if that's not a diss, I don't know what is, you know? Yeah. I mean, we should, like, put aside everything we're talking about body shaming and just should be focusing more on this video game shaming. Right. <laughs> Crazy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. That's... But, yeah, so I feel like there was a time period when that was a big thing and, and shaming you on the difficulty you play it on. And so I always feel like I'm not going to get an appropriate ending by playing it that way. Right. And so I don't for the most part, but I'm going to start trying to ease it back a little bit, I think. But to, to sort of get back on track to what you're saying, is this a game I would recommend? I feel like I had to kind of proceed what I just said before I talked about that. It is. And like Sean said, if you want to play through it the first time on easy, you're going to get all the same things. Sit back and enjoy it. Enjoy yourself as you're playing the game. Am I happy that I beat it on normal? Did I like run around the room and maybe spike my controller like a football? Yeah, that happened. <laughs> But I also tossed my controller up in the air like a spinning pizza at one point in the game because I was so frustrated. Yeah. So enjoy the game. It's a fun, fun game. has a great story. It's beautiful. Yeah, a few little glitches here and there, but nothing that should take you away from playing this game. And it's one that certainly if you have a PS3, it's a must-own in your collection. And uh, definitely recommend it. Awesome. My just comment on the difficulty level situation is... I get what you're saying in that old school games, you were rewarded for playing on harder difficulties and in newer games that does exist, but I can't even think of an example off the top of my head where it does. I'm sure there's plenty, but I, I don't know because I play everything I play on easy. <laughs> I play enslaved on easy. I'm playing persona five. Now persona five has five at least difficulty levels. And one of them is called safety mode. And even I won't do safety mode because that's something where you, I forget what it is. You can't lose battles or if you lose even a random battle, you just go right back into it. And so, like I said earlier, there has to be some kind of consequence for failure. It just, in my mind, it shouldn't be so brutal that it makes you want to put down the game in frustration. But for example, Uncharted 4, I started it today. I know I would get no enjoyment out of the challenge of the shooting in that game because I know how shooting works in Naughty Dog games and I don't want to be challenged by it. I don't want to, I don't want to get better at it. So I just picked the absolute easiest. It's like training wheels mode and they explain all the things that they do to make the game just a cakewalk. And I'm. Let me hide behind this rock for two seconds and get all my energy <laughs> <Yeah>. back. <laughs> No, but it's like aim assist and lock on and all this other stuff that's not in all the other difficulties. But I said, yeah. just said, heck yeah, give me that because I just want to blast through the combat and see the sights and sounds and just get this stupid story. You know what I mean? So, yeah. 
Um, I guess it all depends on what you want to take out of the game. But for me, I mean, there's no shame in playing a game on the difficulty level you want to. I do wish more games let you change it midstream. That, to me, is the best thing. That way, I mean, I know every Yakuza game that comes out, I'll tell you, I always start those on normal somewhere down the road get frustrated and dial it back it happens every time but at least i can try and see how far i can get on the normal difficulty and then knock it down later i wish every game would do that that's just the perfect solution in my mind yeah i totally agree so that's that but as far as my final thoughts on this game I mean, if you can't tell, there's something to me that is just special about this game. And I love when I play a game and, you know, for Enslaved, by no means are the shortcomings game-breaking. And even, as Krabby said on the forum, the technical issues were, like, not a thing for him, you know? They were noticeable to me, but they did not discourage my enjoyment of the game in the slightest. So things like that, things like... Like I mentioned, the repeating boss battles, the lack of enemy variety, all these little things. For some reason, this game is just special. And the way the characters are presented, the way they bond with each other, their struggle, their journey, it just works for me personally in a way that clicks in such a way that I can overlook everything. And I just think this game is amazing. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect game. I wouldn't say that by any stretch. But it is a game worth playing. The pacing is amazing. It's fun, colorful, all the things we said. Just definitely worth your time. Total recommendation. I wish we lived in a world where there could be a sequel to this. But like I said, it ain't going to happen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is an absolute recommendation. A definite must play. One of my favorite games of all time. Like I said, I was just excited to play it again. And I was glad that you brought it up rich and uh i'm glad you enjoyed it absolutely man thank you so much i really appreciate the pick it was certainly a good one speaking of difficulty july's playthrough of shining force 2 offers four levels of difficulty starting at normal uh and so that's what i am going to be playing wow <laughs> so uh yeah it is difficult in the sense if you've never played a tactical game there is somewhat of a challenge to it and, and figuring out how to align your troops and, uh, you know, move and all your different characters have different abilities, different angles at which they can attack, different lengths at which they can attack, different classes can do different things. And just like the first Shining Force game, the second one is full of all these wonderful and ornate classes of not only humans, but fantastical beings. So that's our playthrough for July. And I hope that everyone out there will join us. If you've never played a Shining Force game before, starting at number two is not going to be a detriment because this game chronologically is further on down the line and there aren't things that are really mentioned from the first game. So if you're just starting with Shining Force 2, don't worry. You don't have to play Shining Force 1 first. I'm sure that's a relief for you, right? Sean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we hope that all of our listeners out there are joining RF Generation. Come check us out on the site. Come check out our threads and forums and enjoy gaming with us and enjoy discussing games with us. More importantly, I think over the last, I would say, five months or so, our discussions have really picked up as we've gotten some players who are really trying month to month to play each game we pick. And uh, there's been a lot more comfortability on the site where people can 
say what they want and feel free to express their thoughts. And uh, it's just been a wonderful thing. And uh, look forward to hearing from everyone next month. another episode of the playcast thanks again for listening and thank you to everyone who participated in the playthrough and joined us on the forum at rfgeneration.com next month we'll be revisiting a popular series that already has many forum members very excited in july rich will lead us as we dive into the tactical masterpiece known as shining force 2 originally released for the sega genesis Thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast. You see, I'm a big ass man in a pea brain world. I spent my life looking for a home loving girl. I killed every man from here to Tennessee. Oh, yeah. And I'm the perfect bitch. All the hot sounds want me. Oh, yeah, see, a lot to trot. <laughs> yeah, woke up in the morning. Come on. And, uh, baby, Mama. she was dead. <laughs> yeah, I woke up one morning. And my baby, she was dead. Cause I realized she was a robot So I blew off her mechanical head Oh yeah, kaboom Meet the You see I'm a big ass man 
in a pea-brain world And I spent my life looking for a home-loving girl I killed every man from here to Tennessee Perfect game. 